Great time of worship last week at Easter, wasn't it? Uh, as we got to talk about the basis of what we're all about, which is the empty tomb. And what a wonderful time of worship. What a great time of remembering. Uh, and uh, we continue with that whole thought today. You know, we Christians are not people that have thrown our brains out the window. What was Easter was on what day last week? On Sunday. Thank you. April 1st, which is typically... Okay, well, April Fools, we have not been fooled, and we are not fools. Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, uh, what he cannot lose, Jim Elliott once said years and years ago. And Christianity is a group of people who pursue the facts, pursue the truth. The tomb was empty, so is the grave. And uh, by God's grace, uh, there was no better explanation than that he arose from the dead. And uh, stealing the body, that didn't make sense. And then Jesus showed up. That sealed the deal. First Corinthians 2.5 says that our faith rests not on the wisdom of men, but on what? On the power of God. And that's the way it really is. So this morning, we continue our series that we left off two weeks ago in the book of Philippians. Philippians, I've entitled it Grace on Fire because really the reality is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is gra grace on fire. What Jesus accomplished for us is all by God's grace. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite. And so the reality is in what Christ accomplished, we have the opportunity to live and live boldly, even in a world where we live in the shadows sometimes. And many of you are here today, just like that last song, you're here and you're thinking about the shadows that you're in right now. The pain, the suffering, the difficulty. And, uh, and you don't even know why you're here. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, is the gospel makes all the, dish, the difference in the world. Because the grace of God energizes, activates, leads us. Um, it teaches us to work out. And we're going to be talking about that today. So before we do that, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is today to come into your your presence and to worship you, our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But to be able to come before you, the God who is, the God who was, the God who is to come, the only, the only true God, to be able to come and worship you as sovereign so that we know that even though we feel weak, we are in good hands. We worship you as holy because we know we are not and because Christ is holy for us, we can be forgiven in him. We can come and confess our sins to you because you're merciful and gracious. And we've done that and in song and we do that. Lord, we're not here to play games like we're righteous on our own. We come to you today because you are good. And you have a plan for our lives that is rich and full. Because your grace starts us on a journey and never lets us go. And so, Lord, as we confess our sins, as we worship and adore you, as we bow down literally in our hearts before you today, we ask that you would continue to teach us and open our minds to your truth. We need your truth to lead us in the coming days. And so now as we look into your word, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Because today we want to see you and hear about you 
And so we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, our text is Philippians 2, verses 12 through 30. 19 verses. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to talk about them. And some of you are doubting me right now, saying, no, too much. Here we go. You ready? Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, Paul starts out, And it's important for us to understand that all of this is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's talked about that in Philippians 2. Everything we talked about last week in the resurrection of Christ is based on this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourself to be innocent, blameless, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. This is God's holy word. Powerful. I I, I love this text. It's one of my favorite. uh, uh, And and some of you, because we're going to be talking about working out today, some of you love to work out and some of you hate working out and you know who you are, right? It's absolutely true. I hear that. And, and, and you, you, you're married probably to some. If you hate to work out, you're probably married to someone who likes to work out. Um, opposites attract. And, and we are a very sports-oriented culture. I mean, uh, Augusta is going on right now. How many of you are thinking about Augusta right now, not much thinking about church? Okay, I got that. I appreciate that. Uh, last week on Easter, some of you were thinking a little bit about Easter and a lot about what was going to take place on Monday night. The Michigan fans are depressed. The middle, how many Michigan fans here? I see. Okay. Not a couple. A couple of applauses there. We'll pray for you. Uh, 
But you're dealing with depression right now. Villanova people are happy, and most of us don't really care. That's just the... Oh, I'm so, I was mean. That was terrible, wasn't it? But we're a sports-oriented culture, and we all know that. And Paul is talking about working out. I, I, I do like to work out. When I was talking about um, running uh, one time, one of my friends came up to me and said, Pete, the reason I don't run is because I look at you guys when you're running. I see you on the street, and not one of you are ever smiling. You're not smiling. <laughs> You're not happy, you look depressed, you look discouraged, you're not smiling, you never smile. That's why I don't run, because you're not happy. And so the next day I went out there, I said, man, he might be right. So I went out there and I tried to run and smile. (laughs) You want to know what? It is a physical impossibility (laughs) to keep a smile for longer than a few seconds. And the reason is, I think, I'm not a physiologist, but I think it's because the, the running muscles work against the smile muscles and you can't use them both at the same time. I really don't know, frankly, but I, I, I enjoy working. I find it enormously satisfying before and after, but Paul is not talking about that kind of working out. He's talking about a different type of working out. He's talking about something having to do with our salvation, working out our salvation, which is more important. So rest assured, if you don't like to work out, you're okay today. And by the way, if you're here for the first time and you don't normally come to this church and you wonder why you're here and you're not really a Christ follower, we're glad you're here. And uh, you might, you might learn some things today about why we follow Jesus. And then after we follow Jesus, what happens? Today, we're really going to be looking at sort of a text that helps us see what happens to somebody after they become a Christian. Uh, What do they do? What are they involved with? Uh, Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. So as we look at this text that I just read, and I'm going to give you uh, the alert uh, at the very beginning, I'm going to spend most of the time on verses 12 and 13. I'm going to do what I tell my seminary students not to do. Uh, I tell them to have a balanced sermon. This is not a balanced sermon. I'm going to spend most of my time on the first point, and then we're going to rush through the rest of it, okay? So there it is. And, uh, but we could ask Paul some questions. Work out, right? Work out what? Exactly. Work out what? Well, he says, so then, my beloved, work out your salvation. I love that phrase, work, as he starts it out, so then, my beloved. You know that on the radio, J. Vernon McGee, who is with Jesus, is still preaching. I don't know how that's done. <laughs> He's still preaching, and he always talks to his, his people by calling them my beloved. You've heard that. Your pastor, and whenever he talks to me about you, he says, my beloved Orangewood. That's how he refers to you guys. Isn't that great? Paul referred to the Philippians that way. Why? Because he loved these guys. These guys had sacrificed so much for him personally and for the gospel. He loved them. So he says, so then my beloved, and so then is a, is a phrase that, that harkens back to the early part of Philippians 2 where he talked about Christ. God becoming flesh and walking among us taking the form of a bondservant. And so he says, so then, based on all that Jesus did for us, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the idea of work out is is really the idea in the original text where I want to go is work out what God worked in. But what the phrase really means is work to completion. Bring it to finish. 
carry it to the goal. Finish this. Uh, as some of you know, I lead a ministry called Forge, and on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we teach. We have men's groups around town. On Thursday morning, I was talking with uh, my setup guys, two of which could tear me in half quickly. Um, one of them's L. He's my MMA bodyguard. I've seen him in the octagon uh, with some friends, and, uh, and he took down a guy that was at least a foot taller than him, submitted him, Submitted him in three minutes. I love being around guys like that. He's got a big smile, but don't turn your back on him. And then my other friend's a marathoner. So we were talking about working out. We were talking about working out. And, and they both made the point that our mind says, shut it down when our body really can do more. And those of you who like to work out physically know that's true. You say, I really want to finish this. Uh, now, I want to stop now, but you push yourself a little bit more and you get it done. The mind tells us to slow down so that we don't blow up physically. Um, but we can say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this. Now, some of us, when it comes to spiritually, we have said, I'm done. I, I'm not, I'm not going to continue. I'm done with it. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to keep going. I, you know, I mean, I love those guys over there, but I'm tired. I can't keep this up. I can't do everything that God wants me to do. There's too much he's calling me to do. I, I failed. I'm going to give it up. And to us, when we're in that kind of frame of mind, the apostle Paul says, work it out. Keep working. Finish it out. Present tense, imperative, continual action work it out. Finish this. And the amazing thing is that the Philippians were working out their salvation. When Paul was present with them, and also when he was gone 800 miles away in a Roman prison, uh, he says, you were obedient when I was with you, and then much more in my absence. You're even more obedient. And then he says, work it out. Keep working out your salvation. Hey, the Philippians were a lot better than the Corinthians. You read that letter lately? They were a hot mess. And just like, just like to the Thessalonians, Paul says to the Philippians, excel still more. Keep it up. Stay in the, don't give up. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, one time I was in a meeting with the mayor of Winter Springs and, uh, I was so tired because all of the construction, this is several years ago, all the construction was got Red Bug Road. You know, there really is a road in Orlando called Red Bug Lake Road. I, when I first moved out, I said, you're kidding. Yeah, there really is. And then Tuscawilla Road, there really is a road called Tuscawilla Road. And, uh, and the construction on both of them, I was getting flat tires from all the construction like every six weeks. So I was frustrated. I said to the mayor, I said, so how long is construction going to go on? He looked at me and he said, the rest of your life. <laughs> I said, so that's how it is. He said, that's how it is. All right. That's how it is for us. We come to faith in Christ. That's how it is. And, and the you is in the plural. All of the Philippians of all ages, the truth is we never grow. We, we never outgrow the need to grow up. In Christ. And you can grow old and never grow up. Trust me, I've met a lot of those people. <laughs> they grow old and they never grow up. 
and you're talking to him and you go, man, you ought to be further along because you've known Jesus since the time of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Sometimes I'm that way too. My brother sent me a, brother-in-law sent me a meme the other day. It says this, I never dreamed that one day I'd become a grumpy old man, but here I am killing it. <laughs> uh, I love that. You see, we, we can grow older. And you know where that starts? Starts in the 20s. You come to faith in Christ, you're 20, you're idealistic. And you go, that's great, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you follow Jesus, and you keep growing. And then you get into your 30s, and you're building your career, and you're building your family. And some of the energy begins to dive away. And then in your 40s, your 50s, and you were more involved with success and comfort in 70s. You know, it, it starts young. But I believe life is a gift to be enjoyed and an adventure to be embraced. And part of the adventure is spiritual growth. Growing up. I loved it when my kids were babies. But my goal for their life was not that they would ever stay that way. You know, so. Uh, and you know, Orangewood's purpose is making disciples to advance Christ's kingdom. And so what Paul is talking about when he's talking about working out our salvation, he's basically saying, call it whatever you want, Christ-likeness, sanctification, spiritual formation. What he's talking about here is this process of becoming like Christ, what we were originally created to be. John Piper says, boring? The Christian life boring? You call resurrection boring? It's not. This is part of the adventure in Matthew 10. A disciple, Jesus says, becomes like his, disciple, his master. And I love that God always uses imperfect people to advance his kingdom. Don't you love that? That means we get to be a part of it. All of us get to be a part of advancing the kingdom. But we got to keep growing and working it out. Ladies, as you continue to grow in your faith in Christ God will make you the most truly feminine woman you could ever imagine. Men, as you follow, as we follow Christ, the the role of discipleship is building in us biblical masculinity. God is into gender. He created it. And he knows how to develop it. Our culture doesn't. And that horrible teaching on it in our culture. But discipleship is a part of that process. Also, our temperaments. We all are different in here. That's one of the wonderful things. Uh, that we're so different and unique. I would love to stop right now and talk about temperament. But the reality is the Holy Spirit has got to control each one of our temperaments. And fill us. I talk with guys a lot about what I call the myth of male simplicity. Because we guys think you women are complex. And you think we're idiots. I mean, you, I don't know what you think. But I tell guys, I say, you think your wives are complex and you're very simple. Yeah, just, I'm so simple. I say, no, you're not. Guys, your temperament, your home life, your family, all of us, we're very complex. And we need the power of God working in us all our life to develop us, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which is not being afraid of God like we're going to lose our salvation. It's, it's mainly carrying forth the idea of just being realizing that this is a serious, serious process and a joyful one. 
where he gets to work out and take us to the goal. He said, remember he said at the beginning of the book, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Man, I've leaned on that on those days when I messed it up. Titus puts it this way. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's not males only, male and females. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. See, grace, wrongly understood, is great. I'm forgiven. Now I can sin some more. Rightly understood, grace is I will sin. But God is at work and it instructs me. The grace of God continues to teach us. It's an energizing, spirit-led, powerful, activating force that pushes us toward Christ-likeness. Why? Well, Paul said it. Because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So on those days when you wake up and you, and, or you're feeling convicted and you're, I gotta, I gotta deal with that issue in my life. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit working through you in me, pushing us, moving us on the journey toward growth through trials, through challenges. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me get theological on you for a second, a couple of couple terms. Our salvation, uh, as we look at what the work of Christ was for us, we can often say that the work of Christ for us is monergistic. In other words, God does it. I mean, how else is he going to work with people who are spiritually dead? And so the work of God in our lives, we're Presbyterians, we have to believe this. We believe that God makes us alive. Ephesians 2, 1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He wakes us up. He gives us the ability to believe. We, yes, we cooperate with God in that sense. But a lot of times, theologians talk about the monergistic work of God. But when we think of sanctification and our growth, it's more synergistic. It's working with. That's why discipline has to be there. Why I have to be fully engaged in my growth. Uh, it, it, it's... You know, it's the balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, isn't it? Is God sovereign? Yeah. Again, I said, you're Presbyterians. You have to believe that. God's in charge. Fully. He's in charge of my growth as a Christian. Do I need to be involved? Yeah. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who's at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. And as, as the thinkers behind uh, who have commented on this text tell us, this is a huge incentive because I've never met a Christian who didn't want to be better. I do. And isn't it great that he's in us making us better? The law is flushing out in our lives. This is good news. So in our text, when we ask this question, uh, work out what, Paul? He answers back, uh, our salvation. He accepts us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. So we could ask another question, though. Not only work out what, but work out where. Paul, where is this all supposed to work? Where is my salvation work out? Verses 14 through 18. Now, I told you, didn't I? That I was going to focus most of my time on 12 and 13. So we're going to pick up the pace. You ready? Yeah, where's this supposed to work out personally? 
Now, those of you who want to push me on this uh, will say, but isn't the pronouns here, aren't these pronouns here all plural? I know you were thinking that this morning when you got up. The pronouns are plural. Work out your salvation in a very real sense. He's talking to the whole congregation uh, uh, of the Philippians. But in a very real sense, because he's talking to the whole congregation, he's talking to us as individuals, too. Work out your salvation. We work out our salvation together in community, but also as individuals. And so here's a very real sense uh, that we have to work. This is where we work it out individually in my own life. What is God who is at work in you? What is he teaching you right now? Where is he moving you into Christ's light? Now, I can't answer that for you. I don't know. I can tell you, I tell you that right now, and this came uh, clear to me on Tuesday, that, that what God wants me to work on is, is, is to make love more of the central motivation of every aspect of what I do. You say, well, you're a pastor. You should have got this a long time ago. I know. Well, I did, but not enough. It's like forgiveness, you know, peeling the, the layers of the onion to forgive takes time. Growth, you're peeling the layers. And he made it clear to me that I, I'm not going to tell you why, okay? I know you want to know the backstory. I'm not telling you that right now. Maybe I get to know you all better and trust you a little more. But what's the Lord teaching you personally? Because salvation has to work out in us personally. Then secondly, interpersonally, verses 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Yeah, and, and the Philippians did have some problems. We talked about that earlier in the book. We're going to see it in chapter 4, Yodi and Syntyche. We're going to talk about how the pastor of the church read this letter out in public, had to deal with these two ladies right in front of everybody. That must have been wonderful. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The people who will define your life are going to be the people you're the closest to. They'll, they're going to be at your funeral. We work out our say. Our salvation relationally, don't we? Interpersonally. That's the uh, biggest area in marriage, raising our kids, in work, in our key relationships. Let me ask you this about marriage. Do you really want your spouse to just rubber stamp everything you want and believe? Do you really want that? The first service, we had, we had several people, yeah, I do. I, I, I think we kind of do, sort of. But that's not how we're wired to grow. We're not wired to grow when everybody agrees with everything that we say or want. We need pushback. And so this grumbling or disputing is probably, might be against God, but a lot of times it's in the family. That's where our salvation is to work out. Personally, interpersonally, evangelistically. Look at that, verse 15. That you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights. We're supposed to be lights. So if I don't work out my salvation in the context of people around me, I can't be a light. So 
There's an evangelistic impact that comes with character transformation. Am I going to, am I going to get everything right in this life? No. When I see Jesus, it'll be different. But, um, listen, if you, if this week you sin in front of your unbelieving friends, what should you do? Repent. It's great. Just say you're sorry. You lose your temper at work. You lose your temper. Just say I was wrong because Jesus loves you and you can say that. And they'll go, okay, I forgive you. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. There is an evangelistic reality to our growth. And then continually, verses 17 through 18, where do we grow? Personally, interpersonally, evangelistically. Working out our salvation has got to be continually I love what Paul says in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the service and sacrifice of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. And you too, I urge you share your joy with me. He says something really interesting here. He says, even though I am a drink offering that is being poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, you know, in the old Testament, as well as in pagan religions, they would take the drink offering, uh, wine, pour it out. But there would oftentimes be the bigger sacrifice already there. Paul says, you guys are making the bigger sacrifice. And mine, I'm just a drink offering. But that's all right. That's all right, because that's a part of it. He's so humble, I appreciate that. Go see the movie, Paul the Apostle. Uh, This is not a spoiler alert, but I think Paul is portrayed a little bit more morose than I think he probably was. Um, But it helps you see his leadership and his sacrifice as to where, where as we work at our salvation, it makes a world-changing difference. It really does. Because where you are, I can't get. Your preachers can't get. Powerful. And then what he does is he gives two great examples in, in Timothy. And he says, Timothy, listen, I'm going to send Timothy to you when I can. I have no one else of, 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 uh, 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 of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He says about Timothy, he says, Timothy is my man. Why don't you have anybody else, Paul? How, what's, your, uh, what's your illustration here? Well, Timothy, he's going to send Timothy to Philippi, 800 miles away. And when he asked other people, nobody said, yeah, I'll go. Timothy was the only one. He said, Timothy has allowed God to work in his life in such a way that he is, I can trust him. He serves Jesus. Epaphroditus is the same way. You Philippians sent Epaphroditus to me and he came. As soon as he got to me, he got sick and he almost died. I love this guy, Epaphroditus. He risked his neck for the sake of Christ. You see, what grace does is it enables us to work out our salvation, keep, keep pursuing it all of our life, letting it bear fruit in all of the key areas of our life, personally, interpersonally, evangelistically, uh, and continually. And, and it produces people like Timothy's and Titus's and you guys who are out there making a difference. I, Grace is a fire that burns. We see life differently, makes us positive. It makes us 
downright resilient, like uh, this letter from the Australian uh, army recruit who writes a letter home. He, I love this letter. Remember, he's an Australian and he's writing home and uh, the, le- the letter goes like this. Dear mom and dad, I am well. Hope yours are too. Tell me, big brothers, Doug and Phil, the army is better than working on the farm. Tell them to get in quick, smart before the jobs are all gone. I was a bit slow in settling down at first because you don't have to get out of bed until 6 a.m. But I like sleeping in now because all you got to do before brekkie is make your bed, shine your boots, clean your uniform. No cows to milk, no calves to feed, no feed to stack, nothing. It has got a shower though, but that's not so bad because there's lots of hot water and even a light to see what you're doing. At brekkie, you get cereal, fruit, and eggs. There's no kangaroo steaks or possum stew like what mom makes. You don't get fed again till noon, but by that time, all the city boys are buggered because we've been on a route march. It's only like walking to the windmill in the back paddock. This one will kill me, brothers Doug and Phil, with laughter. I keep getting medals for shooting. Don't know why. The bullseye is as big as a possum's bum, and it don't move, and it's not firing back at you like the Johnsons did when our big scrubber bull got into their prize cows. All you got to do is make yourself comfortable and hit the target. It's easy. You don't even have to load your own cartridges. They come in little boxes, and you don't have to steady yourself again against the roll bar of the Rue shooting truck when you reload. Sometimes you got to wrestle with the city boys, and I got to be real careful because they break easy. It's not like fighting with Doug and Phil and Jack and Bavor and Steve and Muzza all at once like we do at home after the muster. Turns out I'm not a bad boxer either. And it looks like I'm the best the platoon's got. And I've only been beaten by this one bloke from engineers. He's 6'5 and 15 stone and three pick handles across the shoulders. And as you know, I'm only 5'7 and eight stones ringing wet. But I fought him till the other blokes carried me off to the boozer. I can't complain about the army. Tell the boys to get in quick before word gets around how good it is. Your loving daughter, Sheila. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that. That's what grace does when rightly understood, right? Doesn't make us legalists. It makes us activists. It makes us people who work it out. Now, listen, if I had a third point on the outline, and I don't, but if I had one, if I had one, it would be this. Work out what, Paul? Your salvation. Work out where? In every area of life, personally, interpersonally, evangelistically, uh, and continually. But if I had a third point, it would be work out how? How does it happen? It happens when the word of God gets in. If I had a third point, it would, it would be this. How? Number one, the word of God moves in our life. You know, the word of God is so powerful. Isn't it amazing that God has set it up that a book, he wants to use a written book to transform us on a daily basis. And so my friend, uh, he told me I could use him as a servant illustration. He's a businessman, owns his own company, gets up at 3 a.m., works till about dinner time. He is so energized by his work. He said, I don't have any time for God. And I said, well, you're not going to grow anymore. You don't have any time to let the word of God sink in. He's just not going to grow because God has called the word of God to sink into our hearts and renew our minds and reestablish us, grow us. So the word of God, prayer. The ordinary means of grace, the word of God, prayer, trials, James 1. Yeah, he uses those things to break us down and to move us ahead. Community, we need to be together. 
We need the Spirit of God. We focus so much as God the Father, God the Son, that sometimes we miss the work of the Holy Spirit. But He is the still, small voice of God working in our life, moving us and empowering us with the fire of grace to keep us growing. So if you are one of those who are here today and you, you have never met Christ, we want to talk to you about that. Somebody could talk to you afterwards out there, pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about that because maybe a life of continual growth is appealing to you. Maybe you feel stuck, guilty, and want to get free. We'd love, love to talk to you about that. But for all of us uh, who are following of Christ, my question to you is where are you working out? What, what is a, fo- a sermon is not good unless there's a challenge, right? So what is God trying to help you work out? Where does he want you to work out as he moves you on the journey toward Christ-likeness? Yesterday, I saw a bumper sticker on a truck I was trying to get around. It's one of the areas of sanctification you can pray for me on. Guy had an Ironman 70.3 mile sticker on his truck. He was driving so slow. I couldn't understand it. I wanted, I don't, I felt a little diminished because I'd only run a mile and a half that day, but I did feel diminished being around him. And then I thought of another bumper sticker. You ran a marathon. Oh, How cute. (laughs) And then then I thought, you know, there really is only one workout that really matters. Really. Right? The working out of grace, joy, sanctification, That's adventure. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you. Thank you that we could call you Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing everything necessary to reconnect us so that we could call your Father, our Father, your Father, our Abba. And even now, as we face a new week, we ask, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to take us clearly on the journey that you want to take us next step. Work out. Bring us to conclusion. Take us where you want us to go. And we'll enjoy the process with you as we pray these things in the strong, holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.